Yemen, and Amazon workers at a site in New York vote to set up a trade union. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Do you like great music from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s? Don't believe me, just And right up to today. Do you like good music? We've got something for you from every era. This is James Ross with the greatest hits of music. Something for Saturday evening. Join me after the 6 o'clock news right here on Radio 3. This is James Ross, and this week on The Greatest Hits of Music, Andrew Gold. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. Plus, we'll have Super Tramp, Dave D, Dozy Beaky, Mick and Titch, Blondie, The Feeling, Shakespeare's Sister, uh, Ram Jam, Ariana Grande, Billy Joel, The Pointer Sisters, and our mystery TV theme tune. Idea what it is. Everything will be revealed this Saturday evening from ten past six, right here on Radio Three. All being well. All being well. From mental health to physical fitness, from trendy sustainable tips to the latest COVID news, we've got you covered. Every week we'll be joined by experts from all walks of life to talk about all things wellness. Because, well, you, you deserve, deserve to be well. Join me, Ben Cullen. And me, Alison Howe. Every Saturday at 3 p.m. Live on RTHK TV 31. And live on RTHK Radio 3. All, all being well. Welcome to another episode of The Week on 3. I'm your host, Christy Lai. It's getting a bit chilly today. Hope you are staying warm and enjoying your day. By now you'll know what I'm going to say next, but if it's your first time joining me, I'll be showcasing some of the most fun and interesting interviews from the past week here on Radio 3. Let's start today's program with a bit of humor, something that we can all enjoy. I don't know about you, but I love a good meme. If you aren't familiar with what a meme is, it's basically an image, behavior, or style that spreads across the internet. Usually, the image carries symbolic meaning representing a particular phenomenon or theme. The meme culture in Hong Kong is quite interesting to say the least. And last year, there was the first meme museum in Chimsa Choi K11 Art Mall. Telling us more about the local meme culture are students from CCC Hipwo College where they shared their favorite memes and how they integrate memes in their daily lives. Well, there are lots of favorites to say the least. There are a lot of favorites. So many that I use so often. Yeah. It is incredible. I'm sure there are lots of faces. I mean, like the, the baby is already no longer a baby, if you know which one I'm talking about. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, there are so many familiar faces now that are so widely used, and thank goodness for them because they sometimes are able to translate how we feel better than we could put into words. Um, yeah. But I'm going to come to Boas as well. Do you have a favorite meme? Well, my one of my favorite memes is the one. It's a photo caption from Strike. From Strike. It was Strike taking off his helmet. His face was covered in ashes, and he points to the. I think it was the right, and saying, "Good question." <laughs> I know what you're talking about. That's an awesome one, David. Do you have one? Mm, I have one. It's uh, it's it's the baby with the front on the. On yeah, the that one. That one is pretty supportive, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good. And I know the the kid is already growing into. Uh, I mean, a man. maybe a teenager <laughs> <laughs> or a man, you can say. And um, yeah, that that's a, such a good one. Um, Lucas, personal favorite? I don't quite really have a personal favorite because, to be honest, I am not entirely like understand the entire meme culture, especially with Gen Z humor. Like, I can't quite get Gen Z humor, to be honest. Even though I am a Gen Z. Yeah. I can't quite get Gen Z humor, actually. Okay. I just saw Philip rolling his eyes a little bit. What's up there? It's Gen Z humor. It's just... Imagine this. <laughs> Someone is just asking you how to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And you answer with one word. Stonks. Right. That's it. Mm -hmm. And everyone laughs. Well, maybe someone said Bitcoin these days. <laughs> now, one of the things about memes, though, apart from being able to translate how people feel or how they really want to respond in a slightly clever way, is that you could also create your own. Have you tried to make your own ones? Well, yes, of course. Because basically, if you're in a community and you create a meme about that community, then suddenly everyone is going to end up using it. For example, there is a meme of people that are in class 1E when I was form 1, that are circulating right. around that, bar, that, that class, and it is just my face. Oh, okay. I guess I've made a meme. You made it, man. <laughs> I mean, I am the meme. Right. Did they get your permission, though? Did, they, did you know about it beforehand? Absolutely not. It just came out of wow. nowhere. I'm like, you know what? Sure, I'll be your joke. And you're rolling with it. Yep, I'm just going to Well, good for yeah. you. I've spoken to other people before, and sometimes not everybody has that kind of forgiveness that you have in you. And that could turn into, you know, some kind of a broken friendship or whatnot. So good for you. I mean, who am I to ruin the fun? Well, yeah, I guess so. They're fun. Yeah. Do you think we have locally made popular memes? Absolutely. There's so many yeah it's just go take a quick google just search hong kong memes there's gonna be so many so many political a lot of them political yeah but so many okay but it does feel like compared to you know the ocean of memes out there i feel like there's a lot more room for hong kong to get creative on this though no yep absolutely yeah david how do you see this um i think uh memes in hong kong you know are still developing but uh still um I don't know if you guys have heard of uh, a boy that uh, he sit on a, a train and he he just test the new train and he sing a song about it and it's, it became a meme and and just spread everywhere and 
everyone knows it, and even even people in Hong Kong wanted it to become the <laughs> the background music of DSE, and yeah, <laughs> and that is crazy. Forget about green sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> and that is that is crazy that the the spread of the, this meme is it, in Hong Kong is really insane. Yeah. Wow. That looks like. How about for Lucas? How do you see memes from Hong Kong or locally created ones? Well, for Hong Kong, it's still in development compared to the Western Hemisphere, obviously, and it's quite hard for a like. Small community to have a meme second exposed to a general public, because you think about it, the Western Hemisphere they most likely use English for communication, but in Hong Kong you use Cantonese for daily conversation, and it's really hard for you to spread the memes overseas without purposefully making it the memes to be spread overseas.、Mm. But to say least, the memes in Hong Kong still spreads a lot. Like the one we've mentioned before. Yeah. Do you get the Hong Kong humor better? Slightly. I mean, it's not like I can't understand most of the memes on the internet. Just some of them with extreme Gen Z humor. Just is really confusing for me. Students from CCC Heatwall College speaking to Alison Howe on Common Room. A while back on the program, we've talked about Guinness World Record holder Erdan Erruch, who sailed solo from Crescent City, USA, all the way to Asia. He was originally going to make Hong Kong his final stop, but due to some unforeseen circumstances, he decided to change his destination to somewhere else. On Thursday's Morning Brew, Erdan told Phil about the change, as he is taking a well-deserved break after months of sailing by himself, and tells us about the new records he broke. As he sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. Yes. So what I did was to launch from Crescent City, 21st of June, 2021. 80 days later, I reached Waikiki. I waited a month there to sort out visa to China, which didn't happen,、mm-hmm. and <laughs> all sorts of time reasons against storms. I relaunched October 7th. 128 days later, I reached Guam, February.、Uh, 12th and February 21st, I relaunched from there after celebrating <laughs> Valentine's Day with my wife. Wonderful, well done.、Uh, with the intention to get to Borneo, but things changed. I ended up at Legazpi in the Philippines as of the 24th, 31 days later. Yeah. So in my conversations with Doug recently, he's just been very quietly bringing in the concept of climbing a blinking great big mountain. What's next? What's next for me is、uh, now that the boat is off the water, we're going to build a shelter over it、uh, and protect it from excessive sun and rain.、Mm-hmm. And I am going to leave the country, come back probably December, prepare the boat for launch, and then look for a window of opportunity for me to be on the South China Sea when the northeast monsoons return and the typhoon risk is lowest. Considering that in December this year, Cebu City got hit by a typhoon, which was significant, and then that ran for Hainan Island and Vietnam. So January or February looks like a good time to launch with a low risk of storms.、Mm-hmm. And my goal will be to reach mainland Asia in Vietnam, preferably Da Nang, if I can manage. At what point did you know that your original plan for Hong Kong had to change? 
what uh, it was uh, early in February, uh, second half of January or so. Yeah. It became clear that I was losing time fighting the winter weather patterns coming west. Mm-hmm. And with those delays, I was going to be reaching the Luzon Strait in around at the end of March or so. That's when the currents change and reverse the monsoon seas. And the seas would have taken me into Croatia current east side of Taiwan up toward Japan. Right. Or maybe, in the best scenario, South Korea, I would have lost control of my crossing. And also, the recent uptick in the COVID cases in Hong Kong required that they um, requested three weeks of quarantine. And then coming to Hong Kong was never guaranteed. I did not have a visa for China. If I went anywhere else, I would have been done... uh, Chinese shores, and I just did not want to take that chance without a visa and possibly be held liable. And um, I decided, okay, seas want me to go southwest. I followed the trade winds to Guam, got on shore, and then regrouped, made a different plan, and wanted to go to Borneo. Again, the seas decided, no, we're not going there. So then I took my best option, which was leg up in Philippines. Just getting the boat off the water is a huge accomplishment. Having reached a country in Asia from North America, that's a historic first. Nobody went west from Hawaii. Everybody tried to go to Australia in the past. So this is a historic first. And from here, I will bicycle to west coast of Luzon Island and then relaunch toward Vietnam. Mm. It's interesting. You talk about currents, you talk about winds, you talk about seasons. And yet we as human beings still seem to think that we can mess with Mother Nature. We can't, right? No, she is so much more powerful. There's no imposing my will on her. I have to make sure that I play along, leverage everything that's offered by nature, and then stay safe within those parameters. So I make plans, do my best, destiny reveals itself. There she is. This is the boat that kept me safe, brought me across the ocean all those times. This boat is a very experienced robot. It had two Atlantic crossings before I got her in 2004. Okay. And I put another four ocean crossings on this. So it has about 1,350 days or so. This boat has been on a lot of water. And the uh, about 1,200 days or so is my personal career total. Yes. And that career total is now a new Guinness World Record. Ever since I left Hawaii, I was breaking the personal career total in days road solo. Yes. And then uh, overall day solo as well, uh, overall days road that includes two person rows as well. And uh, after Hawaii, I also claimed the total miles road solo, and that is over 25,000 miles right now. So how many have you added to your collection, Eden? How many have you added records? Not that it's about that, but how many? I should have 18, depending on what guys uh, at Ocean Rowing Society approve and uh, certify. I left with 15 from... Crescent City. Mm-hmm. I established two more with those grand total 
distances in days road, overall days. Yeah. So 17 for sure that be reported and registered with Guinness World Records. And an 18th one may be issued for sure from North America to Asia, Philippines being an Asian country. So that's the first time that a rowboat has come this way with a person willingly coming here. Turkish rower Ergen Erruch on Thursday's Morning Brew. If you are thinking of something to do this weekend, why not go to an art exhibition? If you enjoy artwork with lots of vibrant colors, I have just the thing for you. Mizuki Nishiyama is a mixed Japanese artist who was raised in Hong Kong and currently residing in New York. Mizuki recently held a solo exhibition entitled Seisa, Transgressing the Seated Body. It consists of 10 paintings that drew inspiration from her mixed cultural background as she explores the fragility of the human condition, especially the female body. On Friday's 123 show, Mizuki tells Saadi Usmani more about her creative process and how she hopes to empower women through her creative and expressive forms. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yes, the most recent exhibition um, is currently at AN Gallery in central Hong Kong. Um, it's titled Seiza, Transgressing the Female Body. It explores the constriction and liberation as a mixed Japanese woman, literally through the imagery of the physical traditional Japanese sitting position, which is called Seiza. Um, it's a seemingly like submissive position where you kneel, have your palms gently placed onto the knees. So the female body and the female experience has been compared to the beautiful and grotesque for hundreds of years because mm. of how much it deviates from, you know, the ideal white male form. And there's something extremely fertile, vital, and gruesome in regards to what a woman could represent in contrast to the ideal form. And of course, being female myself, the best I can do is to document my own journey and represent my own experiences in its most authentic form. Um, you know, a woman's womanhood, if you will, and her value in regards to her sex is something that is so steered by society. Mm -hmm. For example, like one of my imageries is menstrual blood, and it's seen as an impurity in my Japanese culture, yet it signifies fertility. There's just so much contradiction, you know, when it comes to being a woman, socially, politically, and my hope is to create conversation in regards to all of this. Mm. Well, I, you know, one of the things you just mentioned, some of the vibrant colours, and you were talking about blood there, that, you know, you've used, that's a consistent theme, I can see that you've used some beautiful, vibrant colours, like there's deep reds and oranges and rusts. Um, and, you know, is there, a, obviously, you know, that reflects the, the vibrancy of women, but is there anything else in that colour that you're trying to use? You mentioned colour again, because that strikes me as soon as I see the paintings. Mm -hmm. Um Actually, this is kind of funny. I've tried to psychoanalyze myself on this. Mm -hmm. um, I've noticed that I've been surrounded by this color since I was young. You know, the dark red shades of my furniture, my mother's oh. paintings, my father's flamenco guitar, my own violin. Like there is and there's, there was so much of this color around me. And I also truly think that the Italian influences impacted me aesthetically in that way as well. But ultimately, I think I found a comfort, perhaps, perhaps like a, a balance between passion and strength and also humility in the color red. Um, I personally associate it with tumultual experiences, but also just the exasperatingly you know, beautiful fluidity of, as a woman. And I think only a woman could experience within the chaos 
of reality. And the warm shades, um, like so, represents the experience well, in my my own opinion. You just also you just mentioned um, Italy and obviously the influence of say the colours and things there. But you know you've really been hopping around. You literally have been since your childhood. So how much of that? You know you've obviously mentioned some of it has come into your painting. But you know you've seen women in different roles in different countries as well. So how much of that is incorporated in your work? I think I always kind of trace back to family first. Um, pretty much everybody in the family are artists to an extent. Mm-hmm. My mother, grandmother, granduncle are painters, and notably my mother and grandmother, as they are, you know, they innovate things um, visually. Um, it's a very visually tactile uh, approach to creating life and responding to to reality. Um, but again, with the background in terms of family, because I think it, it really drives the way how it works. Um, my father, he specialized in French philosophy and literature, but his career was in Italian automotive fashion and mm-hmm. is a flamenco guitarist by passion. Wow. Um, great grandfather was a doctor, but also uh, a Japanese flautist and was on and off in the Japanese national theater. So, you know, family has taught me that music, visual arts, poetry, and so on are not separate entities or additions to life. They're essentially elements that organically ingrain and personalize literally each and every one of us. And, you know, like you mentioned, being multicultural, I'm really grateful for, you know, the kind of facets it has given me to, you know, look through, especially as a woman. There was a lot of confusion growing up. Um, reality is really set in, you know, one's eyes, you know, that is your own set of, of truth. But being able to deduct and concoct and, you know, multiply all these positive and questionable elements in each mm. culture, mm. You know, it has allowed me to truly inherit an, an experience that feels original to myself. So mm. it's not saying that my approach is correct, but it's like, again, I'm trying to create conversation because that's the most important thing for us to be aware and for us to reflect. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on. There certainly is. And you can see that actually when you do see the paintings. As I said, if you want to have a look at the ones that Mizuki just mentioned, you can have a look at my Facebook page on Saudi Osmani on our Radio 3 RTHK. Um, let me just ask you now, um, finally, you know, just about your future ambitions. I mean, you've done this particular exhibition and you, you know, it's, it's out there. People can see some of these lovely paintings. Have you got something else in mind that you want to do now? Um, what's your next? project i'm currently working also i actually just got back from japan after a couple of months of a of a hiatus if you will to kind of get in touch with my with my roots um i was so inspired you know going back especially to the kyoto area where mm-hmm. it's you know the old japan is really still um living mm-hmm. so i'm currently working on a series called Kusozu, and it's basically the traditional japanese nine human decomposition stages okay um so traditionally, monks would be confined in a room within a temple, surrounded by paintings of nine women from, you know, vital to being decomposed into nature. And, you know, the function is to demonstrate the effects of impermanence and the gross nature of the human form, especially the female one. Mm-hmm. Again, playing with the ideas of the beautiful and grotesque. I think it's going to be so fascinating to create it with, you know, a charcoal medium, mm-hmm. on, but on Japanese hemp mulberry paper, merging like cultures and also aesthetically clashing together. Um, And I'm currently working on stage six of the decomposition. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. Um, Has the the pandemic 
had an influence on your work in terms of the subject matter and what you're looking at and things like that? For sure. Um, I've noticed that conceptually and also, you know, aesthetically, my work seemed to look a little bit more constrictive since the pandemic started. I, I obviously went through, you know, a bit of a uh, mental, mm. uh, you know, flux, uh, mm. just as a response to what's happening. But that's, that's the, that's the thing, you know, it's life, um, yeah. the works are a visual diary. Um, and it's just part of the journey, reflective of reality. Mizuki Mishiyama on Friday's 1-2-3 show. Mizuki is currently exhibiting her paintings at ANN Gallery from 24th of March to April 8th. And if you would like to know more about her, you can follow her on her Instagram at M-I-Z-N-E-G-I. To end today's week on three, we finish off with another Steve James tea break from Wednesday afternoon. And regular listeners will know that every Wednesday, musical theme is The Beatles. Catch you next week, same time here on The Week on Three. I'm Christy Lai. Here's to starting the biggest, bestest, drunkiest, driviest, vehicular manslaughteriest. Get off with a slap on the wrist because our dads are the richiest fraternity on campus. Oh, the factories may be roaring with the boom a zoom a wee but there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four. Everything stops for tea. Oh, the golfer may be golfing and is just about to make a hole in three. But it always gets and saw when the clock yells four. Everything stops for tea. Every Wednesday, a handful of Beatles tunes for our tea break. Today, the classics live at Hollywood Bowl. Love like that, you know
Money, money. 